Thank you for tuning in to Growing Tech Fast, the condensed podcast in which conversations about growing SaaS startups are had with those who have grown them. Now, today I am joined by Laurie Mascot, who has had a wonderful career helping various SaaS startups scale um, their commercial teams, particularly in sales across EMEA, some exposure in APAC as well. Also works at some big companies like Oracle. Um, but Laurie at the moment is currently VP at Concentra Analytics. So Laurie, it's an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me, Connor. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, me too. Well, to kick us off, um, Laurie, um, it'll be great to hear a bit from yourself if you want to give your own intro. <laughs> I've given a little teaser there, but if you want to tell us a bit about um, who Laurie is, a bit about your background, I think that'd be a good starting point. Yeah, perfect. Love to. So um, as you can see from the sort of uh, grey hairs, I've, uh, I have been doing this a while. Um, so I think I've just gone past 30 years in the industry. And actually, my very, very first job after graduating was in a UK British startup um, called Systems Union, which we grew to over uh, 100 million, about $110 million in turnover. Um, so a great grounding in a British company, which was even more delightful. Um, I've also worked for um, some US companies, really starting their operations in Amir or Amir and APAC. Um, had a number of sort of uh, successful exits as well, as well as um, a few that weren't so successful, which uh, <laughs> I probably learned more from than actually I did the successful ones. So yeah, I've been doing this uh, uh, quite a while, um, currently working in, in the startup environment. We've now sort of um, scaled that organization quite a lot. Um, I, I'd sort of describe myself a little bit as uh, not necessarily like all the other boys um, in terms of uh, traditional sales leaders. So um, I think, you know, having had a 30 year career, you have to keep reinventing yourself. and that's actually really hard to do. And my sort of view was over the last sort of five to 10 years, certainly the, the, the world that I'm in, the enterprise software market, has really, really changed massively. So, you know, when I first started, when most sales leaders or those people in leadership positions first started, certainly in the world of sales, it was, um, you know, um, large on-premise, single licenses and that sort of thing. And the world of go-to-market was very different. The world of sales, I think, was very different. The world of buying was different. And I really think that over the last sort of, um, I'll say the last 10 years, but actually more so the last five to 10 years, um, the world has moved on massively. So I think um, uh, buyers have just got much, much more savvy, much more clued up. Um, we've seen the sort of um, the world of, uh, social selling open up as well and social marketing um, and um, staffs obviously being yeah. one of the main main changes um, so I, I sort of I sort of felt a little bit like a dinosaur um, so for <laughs> years I, I've been telling sales organizations leading sales organizations explaining to them how I want them to sell but actually I, I I, I didn't feel qualified to do that anymore because I hadn't done it in what I regard as a new world. So in fact, I made a, an unusual decision for sort of someone with my background to actually go back into sales, get my sleeves rolled up 
and do it um, just to make sure that the techniques I wanted to use, the um, uh, methodology I wanted to use actually was still valid and still worked. And to be honest, I've had to adapt and change. But um, from a personal perspective, it was a really good boost because uh, um, I was phenomenally successful again at direct selling. So that made me think that, in fact, actually, I do know what I'm doing in this new world. It is a new world. You need to change and you need to adapt. And now I've been able to apply that with my sort of previous experience. Um, so actually, I think I'm sort of a better sales leader than ever, having gone through that experience. Okay, thank you very much for that overview. That's fantastic um, insight. Obviously, I think, the, Laurie, it, it seems as if you, you feel quite strongly, obviously, sales has been, and tech specifically, has been revolutionized right over the last 30 years, particularly that introduction, totally. as you said, of yeah. SaaS. So I'm interested to dig into a few things um, there. So you said, like, I think something you mentioned would be quite interesting is how the, the rise of SaaS, right, has changed, particularly, say, the go-to-market strategy and, and, and how that um, needs to be done in this new age of sales, right? So how do you think that, like, or I guess, why do you feel that that SaaS um, had that effect and what what kind of effect has it had in terms of go-to-market strategy? So I guess what I'm getting at is what's different now compared to, say, when you were at a systems union, for example? Uh, I, I think in the old world, um, certainly procurement, buying, the way people bought solutions was very different by definition it had to be there was always a lot more involvement in IT um, it always involved uh, a lot more capital spend um, which by definition itself sort of uh, uh, required more scrutiny um, that's changed so now um, certainly in the sort of uh, applications that I've been involved with it is very much around selling to the business. It's, um, I think, the business case, um, proving value, providing value, has um, really come to the fore. Uh, and that's changed the way that we need to uh, sell when we're engaged in an opportunity, but also the way we need to market to start developing those opportunities as well. Okay, very interesting. And you said specifically, obviously, then you took that decision to, I guess, segue from leadership, get your sleeves rolled up, do the yep. sales, because you felt it was going to teach you quite a lot. And then obviously now heading up things. Like the so, yeah, so you said that second time around, you said you're very, very successful, uh, but it was very, very different, right, from the first time around mm. you were selling when you were very successful. So what what did it teach you, I guess, that second time around, we'll call it, when you were coming back into things, into sales, what did... What are the biggest things you learn? Um, I think there, 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 there are sort of various, I suppose, elements in this thing that we call the sales cycle. Um, and the thing that I think changed most dramatically was engaging with potential clients and moving that actually into either a sales or more importantly, a buying cycle. Um, so it was that sort of engagement piece, which I think the salesman now has to take more responsibility for, in terms of um, understanding the target marketplace much, much better than I ever actually felt I had to. Understanding the individual organizations more, um, and, and going really upfront 
with a um, value, a tailored value proposition to that organization. Whereas before, you know, it was, and I, I go back, well, actually not that long ago, yeah. probably still in companies, in some companies, uh, maybe how they still do business today. But <laughs> you know, it was, it was, someone would talk to you, that's fantastic, I'm going to give you a demo. Um, there was a lovely, I, I was listening to another podcast actually, um, which was um, uh, from a couple of people that I know very well. Um, uh, Steve Fearon at uh, Capita, who was ex-Oracle, and Tim Hughes. Um, and they were talking, and t uh, Steve is now a CEO. Um, and, and he was saying that, you know, uh, every week he probably gets hit on LinkedIn and various other uh, formats 700 times. Um, now, he's not going to listen to any of those. <laughs> Um, however, I, he, what he was explaining that as a CEO, he, um, he would give time where he really felt that someone had come up with uh, uh, a value proposition that was unique and he, re he really couldn't ignore. So um, I think that was actually a great tip from a, a different podcast, but um, um, something that really resonated me in terms of modus operandi. So, I think in terms of modus operandi, um, uh, pre-sale, if you like, it's about really crafting, understanding your audience much more than we ever had to, and crafting a value proposition. And then that, taking that and tailoring it more to maybe individual needs once you're into that sales site. And, and that has implications across um, um, you know, the entire marketing organization as well. So uh, particularly in the startup world where I think, you know, um, you really can't separate the sort of sales and marketing function. Um, but it, it, it's, it really is um, making it much more aligned. And then obviously as, you know, as organizations, as your startup starts to grow, mm -hmm. then sort of tweaking that approach. But that whole sort of foundation of building pipeline <clears throat> through to early engagement um, is something that has changed massively over the last few years. Interesting. Yeah, I think what I'm really picking up there, Laurie, is you're talking about the need for a tailored, specific value proposition, right? Versus the yeah. kind of maybe spray and pray, which maybe worked in the past more so than it does now. Um, now, I find, I find that interesting. Here's where I want to bring in, actually, because you reference this a couple of times. You mentioned before the role of, of social selling, right, and how that has obviously yep. become more evolved. And then I guess you also mentioned just there uh, from the podcast you listened to um, of um, your friend who's the CEO, who was, who was mentioned he gets hit up around 700 times on LinkedIn, right? So social in, in some ways has probably actually enhanced the spray and pray model as well. So yeah, totally, I'm really interested yeah. to hear from you. And it is a debate, obviously people, people phase, you get some old, some people are very old school who think social maybe doesn't have much of a place, some on the other spectrum who are all about social. So from your perspective and from your experience, how do you feel social fits in and what kind of part should it play in the running of a b2b SaaS organization um it's um, it certainly is a a major part but it's not the be all and end all so i i sort of used the word platform and you know at the end of the day particularly when it comes to startup environments um uh, pipeline is king i mean it really is there are probably two kings it's pipeline and it's cash um so 
building pipeline is massively important because at the end of the day, sales is pretty much a function of pipeline. Um, so um, in that pipeline building, I think social selling, social marketing, however you want to term it, is important, but it's not the be all and end all. It needs to be part of the overall platform for going to market. Um, and there are other techniques as well. You know, interestingly, um, sort of taking on board one of the things that you said, one, one thing that I've seen work really well for me and members of my team over the last few years has actually been the um, good old fashioned veto letter. Do you remember those? Very important <laughs> top officer. Um, so, you know, a very simple one page um, highly tailored document um, that goes to individuals in an organization, very much tailored to them as an individual and as an organization, and sort of demonstrating effectively sort of earning the right, actually, to talk to them. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, <laughs> there's a model that I learned 30 years ago, which I think is still <laughs> applicable, which is actually the... Um, uh, UWI three-stage approach. So actually the most important thing is them. Um, and let's demonstrate that we actually care about that and we've put in some time and some effort to understand what we believe their challenges might be. Um, then potentially how we can do something about it together. And then you're kind of, I, I'm earning the right as me to have that conversation and take it further. So um, Social media absolutely is one of those mechanisms for getting those messages across. Uh, good old fashioned veto letters. Um, occasionally the smile and dial. We often hear about the seven touches. And actually I think those touches um, across various mediums are important. And even maybe, maybe taking potentially um, uh, an account based marketing approach as well so it, it really is a combination but it's building sure. out that platform and the good thing in startup world is actually the sort of cost of entry to doing that is relatively low for a startup mm -hmm. yeah. so um you know it can I, I i've i've been sort of first person on the ground where i've kind of had to do all of that myself and been able to do it and then as we've grown i've maybe had someone specific on the sort of social on the social side <laughs> someone specific maybe on the um, more hands-on sort of business SDR type follow-up. Um, but then we can start to scale that. But it's about building out that platform, I think, particularly in the startup world. Fantastic. Thanks for that. And I think there you just keep coming back to something that's really sticking with me here is, is the need for a tailored approach, right? Whatever medium. And I think yeah. we can all testify to, I, I certainly get them all the time, people who hit me up on LinkedIn. And I think, you know, clearly nothing, you've taken no time to think anything about me about the business and yeah i think that's like a real real way to close the door before it's open right and i, I love that yeah. takeaway of the the you first and i guess customer centric selling right putting the customer at the heart of things so i really like that um, now what i want to pivot to here Laura, you just mentioned there you've been first person on the ground right so you're really someone yep. who knows and has experienced growth growth of these fast-growing technology startups you've been at different stages right so i just want to talk to you about something that um we've discussed before which is around what you term these these glass ceilings of growth yes. okay so yes. i'd love for you to unpack for for me and also for the listeners just a bit more around what it is firstly you mean by that phrase um so 
I think in the life in the life cycle of an organization there there are some particular stages and the one that I I'm I, I'm I've experienced is um in enterprise software um and to get to the next level of organization you're effectively having to break some barriers and what I term the glass ceilings and smash through those um and actually in and you know Forget, forget the numbers then it's not an exact science but kind of the glass ceilings that I've seen have been um, getting that first client on board that first customer that's really really hard um, and you need to be really careful as to how you, you know, where you spend your time because you know there are organizations that I've worked with which simply um, it's just not in their DNA to be your first client but then, you know, there are other organisations who I've worked with who um, have been more willing to do so. Um, they're, you know, um, it's just in their sort of um, DNA to um, uh, maybe be a little bit more um, uh, early adopter. Yeah. Um, so it's trying to find those, work with those. And it's also a very different type of sell. So, you know, it's not, I've got the best brand, I've, not, I've got the biggest product, I've got the best product. It's actually, do you know what? We're a startup, we're dynamic, we're agile, we're gonna work with you, we're gonna work closely with you. Um, and actually what I'm selling you isn't about what I'm selling you today, it's about the journey that we're gonna go on together. So I do think in those early stages, um, the sales process is, is incredibly different. It is what I call the journey sell. But it's getting those first few customers. And, you know, I've seen lots of organizations win a few customers um, and then not go anywhere. Because actually, I think the sort of next glass ceiling, so having got those first few customers, you then re need to sort of reinvent and adapt again. And it's kind of breaking, and, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do it in terms of sort of ARR. Thing, sure. that's yeah, yeah. a useful measure these days but so it's sort of um first clients breaking through the next glass ceiling where you need to fundamentally change the organization and the way that you go about things and it feels that that's like at around a million mm -hmm. arr <clears throat> and then it kind of feels like the next one where you have to start changing the organization is about 10 million then i think it's around 20 then I think it's kind of 50 and then it's probably a hundred by, by which time to be honest, I'm probably the wrong person to be working with you anyway. So <laughs> I've not really gone past that much, um, but, but it, it, it involves really looking at your organization, changing it. Um, you know, it, it, it involves looking at whether we're going to hire, um, uh, behind the curve, ahead of the curve. Um, but uh, an awful lot that he, needs to be taken into consideration and fundamentally i think at those sort of pivot points those glass ceilings you need to be looking at how you're going to change the it's a bit like um alex ferguson and you know every two or three years he reinvented that man new team mm -hmm. and what are, you know the organizations that have been seen to be successful have reinvented themselves and the organizations that haven't gone through those glass ceilings are actually the ones that really haven't <clears throat> taken the chance to reinvent themselves interesting yes it's like continue continuing to change right is the key to to development 
and yeah, growth. Absolutely. Okay. And, and, and then you've got a sort of mix of, um, uh, there's, there's that fine balance between um, process and entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and I've seen, you know, I, I'm actually a believer in sales process, but sort of um, the three bears approach. So not too much, not too little, just the right amount. And I've seen organizations that um, have lost, have had that entrepreneurial spirit kicked out of their, their sales teams, their marketing teams, because actually they've tried to put too much process in too early. Um, and it, it's, there, there has to be that right balance, particularly as you're scaling the organization of maintaining that entrepreneurial spirit, but the right amount of process as well. Okay, cool. Out of interest, Laurie, because I know you've worked at some large companies, right? You've been, mm. you've been at Oracle, for example, right? Yep. How, how's the, the process entrepreneurial spirit um, kind of, um, I guess, dichotomy held together at the likes of an Oracle compared to the likes of a startup that you've worked at, you know, a systems union or a Concentra, for example? Is there a difference, do you think, or is that too much of a generalization? Um, no, I, I, an organization like Oracle is incredibly process centric, I mean, still phenomenally successful. I loved working there. I learned a lot. I stayed a lot longer than I meant to, um, <laughs> that, which is testimony to the organization. Um, and actually, I, I, from a sales perspective, potentially maybe a bit burdensome on the process but you kind of understand why just because of the scale that they're working at but also the ability of that organization to sort of turn the oil tanker was amazing okay um and it really was so yeah you know it was willing to say okay this isn't working for us we're going to change it and we're going to go big time um, which was a great learning curve for me. Uh, another good example of a large organization that actually maintained uh, at the time, I think that healthy balance between entrepreneurialism and process was actually Siebel. And, you know, Siebel invented sort of sales process, yeah. <laughs> those sorts of things. But um, it wasn't overburdensome. Where I've worked for smaller organizations, and to be honest, there's more process in place than I've, I've actually had at the likes of. Oracle and Siebel. And, and you know what? Those organizations aren't going to crash through those glass ceilings because you need, you need to um, really maintain that sort of uh, togetherness, that sort of uh, entrepreneurial spirit as well. And too much process can kill it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. It's that healthy, healthy balance between the two, healthy right? And how that is put together. Okay. Um, and that so, balance will change as you go through those glass ceilings as well, I think, to an so okay cool so kind of adjust depending on where you're at right in terms of that that yeah. cycle okay um just going back then to so to these glass ceilings right um this might be a difficult question for you or maybe quite quite simple but what is the toughest glass ceiling to break through and why you know what i think they all have their challenges um honestly where I, I suppose from experience I've seen more companies alter or stall is actually probably on that one million. Getting through, you know, taking it from 
I've managed to work with a couple of clients now to actually getting some sustainable revenues at one million. It, that's probably been the toughest, actually. <clears throat> okay. And what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to a company at that stage? If you were coming in right at that, that stage again, how would you get them from a couple of clients right through that one million pound barrier? Um, build out the sort of unified, uh, and again, it doesn't have to be starting large, the unified sales and marketing platform. Be very, very focused in terms of who you're going for, your initial targets and your message. Okay. Cool. I like it. Um, so that, that part of it. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably for you that the toughest barrier, but all come with mm. their challenges. Right. And of for course. me, and, and I think something that um, listeners will be interested in, you know, we've got a lot of sales leaders, business leaders um, who listen out. Laurie, obviously you've been there and done it as first person on the ground. Okay. Um, so what I'm keen to hear about from, from you is you kind of referenced before, obviously it's key to try and find those, early adopters um, yep. to, try and, to try and open up um, to, to then reach through that glass ceiling of initial, cust, um, initial customers all the way up to kind of 1 million um, mark. So what I want to get at here is like, is there, is there a, good, a good approach for like, I guess, seeking out these early adopters? I'm thinking this is going to be really useful for anyone in the position of first person on the ground, any companies um, looking to open up new territories as well. Yeah, what would your biggest advice be to try and locate those early adopters? Um, it's sort of a tough one, that one, because it, it, some of it does come down to experience and just sort of, you know, listening, listening to people. So um, there are some very large, well-established organizations out there that people always want to have as their clients. You know, in the UK, people want to have um, uh, NatWest and Tesco and Unilever, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's, there's that sort of um, elite group that people love their logos on their website. Um, a lot of those are going to be really tough to work with um, and have really, really sophisticated buying processes. So it's about whether you can identify someone who's, either a person or an organization who's maybe demonstrated that they are willing to be an early adopter um, and are, see the value to be derived from going through that sort of journey sell. Because like I said, often in startup world, we're not, we're not selling a fixed point. It's not, here is the fully baked application, you're good to go, it's used by 10,000 other people. Um, it's, no, we have a starting point. We're going to enhance it. We're going to improve. We're going to, we're going to love you as a customer. You're going to love us as a supplier. Um, and we're really going to work, to, you know, people, the word partnership in sales is banded about so much, <laughs> but actually work in partnership. And that's, that's potentially quite an interesting value proposition in itself. So finding the people and organizations that are willing to go down that journey sell. Okay. Interesting. Fantastic. Well, I think we've, we've covered so much. So we've talked about these glass ceilings, uh, the yeah. challenges, 
Um, we spoke about how to potentially open up new territories, SaaS has revolutionized go-to-market strategy. So we've covered a whole lot in a short space um, of time. Just to finish us off, I'd love if you could just synthesize if there was one takeaway that you would love our listeners to have from everything we've discussed um, today around the startup world, right, around growth. Um, yeah, what would it be? Just one one takeaway that you can leave our listeners with. Um, one takeaway, wow. Um... I'm going to go very much from um, the sales perspective on yes. this. Um, so don't, don't get overly flattered by people who want to join your organization. What I mean by that is, so um, when I worked at places like um, Oracle, when I've seen um, people from like uh, SAP, you know what, those, those sales guys, really really know how to facilitate the buying process the world of startup is really really different and i mean i i, I love it but it, it 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 you you really have to hone what I, I i term your sales skills so um get people on board that are willing to go through that journey and fight some of those battles because startup is hard. Um, and I, I, I've got it wrong. I, I have taken people on from, you know, I was flattered by the, the brand of organizations that they came from. And um, uh, on paper, they looked fantastic, but put them into a startup world and they completely floundered. Like I said, they were brilliant at, you know, these large organizations facilitating the buying process, but actually going out there and making things happen and selling um, just floundered. So um, get the right people on board who have maybe done this before, preferably recently. And like I said, I, I had to completely reinvent myself. Um, and that it's that combination of experience, I think, which, which, which has enhanced my personal value. Um, but it's, it's finding the people that have a passion for it, have an ability for it and the desire to keep on going with it because startups are hard. Fantastic. I love it. I think echoes what someone once said to me, um, as I'm starting to, to as I was starting to crowd my team, which is, it's very simple. You find great people and you keep great people <laughs> harder than it sounds, but yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's it. Well, anyway, Laurie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you. Really, really do appreciate it. Brilliant. Connor, thanks very much indeed. No worries. Thanks all. Cheers. Take care. Bye now.